You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary South. We exist to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission by seeing the lost redeemed, the redeemed matured, and the matured multiplied for the glory of Jesus Christ. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarysouth.com. A joy to be with you folks. Thank you so much, uh, team. That was taste of heaven. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm Tim McAlpine, and I actually work as a pastor of discipleship or discipleship pastor at Trinity Christian School. Uh, so I work with um, K-9 as a professional friend, essentially. Yeah, they just hang out with me. They come in my office, and they tell me what they think of their, their honest thoughts about their teacher, you know, and usually I'll kind of ask, did you say that out loud in class? And No, okay, good, let's keep that here. And uh, you really need to repent of that attitude. Now go back to class and... Um, but uh, married, I have, uh, my wife and I have been married for 14 years. This past August, we have three great kids. Adeline is uh, turning 12 in December, going on 22. Uh, Tobin just turned 10. And when we have a, uh, a daughter who will be two in January, so we, because um, we, we, we were out of diapers and our kids were in school full time, we are like, we should start over. That's a really good idea. And so we did that and praise God for uh, his grace in that and COVID. Thank you. Um, but uh, this morning, it's, um, it's just a gift to be here. The, the responsibility and the trust given is not lost on me. Uh, your pastor is a man that I, I do admire, respect, and love, and I have known for a number of years, and he's just been a, a constant encouragement to me. Uh, we're going to be looking at Colossians 1, uh, verses 3 to 14. Um, I met with Pastor Quinton beforehand. We're talking about this service and mentioned that this is the text I was feeling led to preach, and he's like, yeah, just so you know, I've preached through Colossians with my church, and I'm like, perfect, um, so everyone can critique it based on, on his sermon, so that's awesome, uh, but uh, this morning, I just wanted to, to remind us uh, of a few things, you know, um, being that tomorrow or Monday is, is Reformation Day, and, and just the, the reflection on what Martin Luther did for the Protestant church in, in nailing that 95 thesis to the church uh, in Wittenberg, you know, 1567, that's a number of years ago, and, and his uh, dedication to the authority of God's word and salvation by grace through faith alone uh, have, have been monumental, foundational for us as, as a church. And I was reflecting on the way in which God used his servant, Martin Luther, to just kind of reorient the church, because the church was, was distracted and, and giving the Catholic Church all of this authority that was actually actually belonged to God. And and as I was reflecting on it I, it, I was just reminded that this was not the first and only time that God has used one of his servants to draw the church back to himself. In fact, a lot of the epistles that the Apostle Paul wrote were very much these types of letters, these reminders, these reorienting their focus. I don't know how, how you grew up, uh, I grew up in a home where spanking was a thing. Um, super effective. You know, by the third, fourth time, usually I kind of caught on that what I was doing was wrong. Uh, but I, I can remember a few instances in my life. One in particular, when I was six years old, I made the conscious decision to um, not tell my parents that I was leaving, and I went to my friend Zach's house. And uh, he wasn't real close by. And, and I can still vividly picture... My mom in her maroon corduroy jacket standing at the front door, didn't even have to say anything, just looked at me. And we got in the car. And I think all I remember her saying on that, you know, two-minute drive that felt like 20 minutes was, just wait till your father gets home. And then my dad came home and, and he said these words. 
um, when he came to discipline me, he said, you know, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you. At the time, I didn't believe him, but now as a dad, I, I understand what he was saying. Nowadays, you know, nowadays, I think it's still, I've just, I've, I've come to the realization that I cannot walk this, this life alone and that I need a, f- a few good men in my life outside of my home that can speak into my life. So I've, I have a few. God's been very kind to provide me with some, some very godly men. And one of the guys, he'll, he'll say to me often, uh, Tim, I'd rather step on your toes than stand by your grave, which is how he cushions this, this challenge, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a correction in my behavior. Maybe it's, maybe. And oftentimes, folks, it's, it's a warning. Like I'm missing something. Like I can't see where I'm headed. And so as a warning, as to not veer off course, he'll challenge me. But in these conversations, even, even when my dad said, this is going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, or I'd rather step on your toes and stand by your grave, there's a goal. And the goal of these conversations is redemption. The goal of these people in my life is to bring me back to a place where I'm honoring Jesus and not living wayward. Paul does this often in his epistles. And I think it's so crucial for all of us. Proverbs 18.1 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire and breaks out against all sound judgment. This idea of, of making decisions on our own, um, it's foolishness. And there's wisdom in having people around us that can just see things from a different perspective. And that generally is what Paul is helping his churches with. The churches that he planted, although Colossians, uh, he actually never physically was there. But he's working to, to, to serve them. The book of Colossians is a letter from Paul meant to address a growing concern that's changing the gospel message. Paul knew of the faith of the believers in Colossae, but he also was aware of the pressure they faced to add certain requirements to their understanding of salvation. In fact, in chapter 2, verses 8 to 10, Paul would say, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now those verses come after our verses today, that's how that works, uh, And in this passage that we're going to look at this morning, we kind of see Paul cushion the church, prepare them, shepherd them lovingly as a pastor does. And he reminds them not so much about how awesome they are, but how great and glorious and gracious and kind God is. He reminds them of the character and nature and the work that God has done before he brings in a rebuke and a challenge. One author put it, Gentle rain softens the ground and prepares it to receive the heavier downfall, which would else most, mostly run off the hard surfaces. As well, Paul is, is going to give some specific instruction, but he provides this robust theology where he demonstrates the supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus over all things, and he rejects false teaching and relies solely on Jesus. So I've kind of broken it up. Really, there's like an overarching title that's a thanksgiving prayer for redemption, but kind of broken it up into three sections. Verses 3 to 8 is going to be our thanksgiving, 9 to 12, the prayer, and 13 to 14 is for redemption. Now, I just would ask you to pray with me as we dive in. 
God of grace, we thank you for today. Thank you for the songs that we've sung, the truth that's been declared of who you are. God, I thank you for the sun that rose this morning, which reminds us of the mercies that we've received, whether we've acknowledged it or not. Thank you for Redemption Church. Thank you for the work which you're doing in and through them. I ask God that in the next few moments, you would be kind, illuminate the truth of your word by your spirit, exalt yourself, and as you do so, would you draw us to you? Would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer? We pray by your grace and for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Colossians 1, picking up in verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This, this portion of scripture begins with, with the word always. When I've, when I've done some premarital counseling with, with couples, I often encourage them to avoid absolutes, always and never, typically not overly helpful in conversations or conflict when it comes to marriage. But there are times where, where words like these, these absolutes, can be such an encouragement. And to me, it just it demonstrates this pastoral heart that Paul has for his church, always. We always thank God. Every time you come to mind, we are thanking God for you. We thank the Lord Jesus Christ. And I love that because even that is a declaration. A declaration of the Lordship of Jesus. Anytime when Jesus is called Lord, it means that he, in the end, rules and reigns over all things at all times. So he's beginning with, we always thank God for you, and I want to remind you of the Lordship of Jesus, that he is ruling and reigning over all things. Paul is making it clear and reminding the church of this lordship, and it is because of what God has done amongst the church that Paul gives thanks. Verses 4 and 5, he says, We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel. A couple things to note from those verses. He thanks God for their faith, love, and their hope. Their faith, love, and hope. And he thanks God for them because those gifts of grace come from God. 
They have not mustered these up through, through their own pulling themselves up by their bootstraps. There's been no person in their life that's come along and blessed them with these things. It's the creator, sustainer, ruling God of the universe that has gifted them their faith, their love, and their hope. And I appreciate it, because I genuinely, this is, I think Paul is so intentional in all of his letters with the language he uses, and he begins with this, this gratitude. We're thanking God for this. You know, I, I turned 40 this last August. Um, my wife, because she's the best, uh, she bought me a Jonathan Huberto jersey. He plays for Calgary Flames. They're not an idol. They just really like them. And this jersey meant a lot to me because my wife really was, was very intentional in it. And I thought about it, and I was like, what if I, you know, I'd been given this gift, looked to my wife, told her how much I loved it, and then I called up my friend James Naylor, and I thanked him for this gift of this jersey. Uh, Not only would that potentially lose said jersey in my life, it would also cause some confusion, because it wouldn't make sense for me to thank someone else for the gift that my wife had given me. And I do see this as Paul is continually, intentionally throughout this portion of scripture and in his letters, reminding and reorienting. We thank who? We thank God for these gifts. He's the one worthy of our thanks. He's the one worthy of our praise. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from God above. God is the one who gives. And, and one author, I like how they said, they said that in all our joys, we must readily call to remembrance the goodness of God since everything that is pleasant and agreeable to us is a kindness conferred by him. What does he thank him for? Faith, love, and hope. I, I try to do this thing when, I, when, when the Bible uses language. I actually try to go to the Bible for definition because I think the Bible actually explains what it means. He's thanking them for faith. Hebrews 11.1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Love. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at the wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. 1 Corinthians 3, 4 to 7. And hope. Not only that we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given us. Romans 5. These are the things that Paul is reminding his people of. And, and make note, <clears throat> he doesn't remind them of the houses that they live in. He doesn't remind them of the good circumstances that, they, that, that, that they've experienced. He's not reminding them of temporal, earthly things. He's reminding them of eternal things. He's reminding them of the things that only God could give. Preaching is a funny thing because you preach texts and... and it's, it's a labor of love, it's a lot of study, and then God in his kindness will give opportunities for application in my own life. That's been my experience. So when Paul talks about these three things, I, ju- I, know, I just notice that it, it doesn't talk about a pain-free life on this side of heaven. And so we as a family, we, we were... Um, well, I tend, I tend to be an 
overly transparent blabbermouth, and I just tell people kind of everything, especially when I'm excited about it. Um, and so we, we, had, uh, we were anticipating a, an arrival of a fourth child coming this spring. Uh, but a month ago, we experienced the pain of, of a miscarriage. And um, I just, you know, in those moments, there's not a lot of earthly wisdom that, that brings peace. There's some really foolish things that well-intended individuals might say. But in the midst of that pain, as I was studying for this particular text, you know, I was reminded that these are the gifts that God has given us. That, that God has provided us with a faith. Like, I didn't muster up this faith. That he, by his grace, through his spirit, regenerated my heart and affectionately drew me to himself. Undeserving. Incredible grace. That, that I have love. And Paul is actually talking about a love amongst one another in this text. There's a love for each other in the church. Um... Because of my ability to blabber, you know, many members of our church knew that we, we were expecting and then also were able to rally and support and encourage and bless us in our pain. God gifted us that. The beauty of the local church. And the hope. You know, there, there's hope. I, here's the thing. <laughs> I've read the Bible a couple times and nowhere in there have I been able to find the verse that says God owes you an explanation for why things happen. And oftentimes I found that the most stressful, anxious-filled, fearful, painful moments of my life are the ones where I am desperate to understand why. Instead of relying on who. And in light of who God is, and in light of Paul's reminder to the church in Colossae that still is applicable today, in the moments of pain, sitting down with my 12-year-old trying to explain to her that we've lost a child, those aren't fun conversations. But being able to say, look my daughter in the eye, and with full confidence, declare that God is only good and always faithful. That's who he is. And without, without that, I just, I don't know how you live as not a victim. You know, I don't know how you, how you, how you don't live in, in constant pain and confusion. And I do believe these gifts that, that Paul is reminding the church in Colossae about, this, this faith, this hope, and this love that, that, that exists in them and that he sees in them, that's identified in them, help protect from getting stuck on Why? Paul's focus, this assurance and conviction, a selfless service towards one another and a hope in Jesus that can't be shaken. It's almost as though he's saying, let me remind you of what God has done in hopes that as you remember, this will help cultivate faithfulness. Keep in mind, Paul knows what's happening. There's this syncretism existing in the church where they're starting to pull different things from different belief systems, mixing them up in a pot and being like, here, we've got a new thing got this new idea, way more palatable, way more beneficial for us as individuals. But being reminded of what God has done, who he is, we always want to bring to mind these good gifts. Not only that this makes us a joyful and faithful people, 
But it can serve as a weapon against such poisons as self-pity, selfishness, pride, or even just being grumpy. And that's not to say we didn't experience pain and we, there's still grief and there's still, you know, I mean, sure, I have lots of like, oh, what if? Wonder, what, wonder if it was going to be a boy and, and this would be the one that would make the NHL, right? I mean, obviously, that was probably what was going to happen. But I love that, that Paul's desire is, is always, there's just something about bringing us back to who God is and, and the gifts that he gives that just can't change. It's unchanged. This is what he has done for us. We always thank God for this. It goes on in verse 6 and says, As also in the world it brings forth fruit. As also in the world it brings forth fruit, which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Take note of the language which has come to you, I, I don't know that I, I mean, the crisis of identity that exists amongst young people uh, is, is pretty high these days. And one thing that I hear a lot, even from young adults, is this idea of going to seek and find my, I'm going to find myself. Um, and I just, again, I don't see that language in scripture. What I see is, is a savior who comes to us. We, we don't go out of our way to, we don't seek him out and, and, oh, there, I found him. He was playing hide and seek. But that he actually comes to us. And Paul is saying, remember, remember where you guys were and Epaphras came to you. You weren't on some secret mission, but it came to you. And, and then he goes on to say that it's in the world that's bearing fruit. And here's, here's what I, how I under, understand that. My dad has this phrase, he always says to me, Tim, God is always doing something and he's never doing nothing. And, and that's really what Paul is saying to them here. There's, there's things happening in the world that you don't see in your local context, but I promise you this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is bearing fruit that only could come because of God. He's genuinely working to remind and encourage the church of Colossae of all that God has done is doing and will do. And he makes it personal for them, right? Remember, this good news came to you. Indeed, the whole world, it's bearing fruit, it's increasing. And since the day you heard, you heard and understood the grace of truth. In, in truth, like he's, he is declaring, there's no, what's true for you is true for you. This is the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the truth. And I, and I like it because he's reminding them, you heard it. You know, Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes through hearing. It's not as though Epaphras, who he addresses, showed up, did a bunch of nice things for them, and they were like, oh, you know what? In light of your service to us, I need to repent of sin and trust Jesus for my salvation. But this is news that he shares with them. That, that someone would intentionally show up to where they are to declare to them the truth that there is a God who created all things and we as humanity rebelled against him. That he would then pursue us in and through his son who would live perfectly on our behalf. He'd go to the cross on our behalf, absorb the full wrath of God that we might not taste, experience that sting. Would go to a grave, three days later rise again 
has ascended to heaven, is seated at the right hand, and one day will return, that someone would come and tell them this news, that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts, draw them to repentance, and bring new life. Remember that? Remember that. Because you know what? Days are coming when it's going to be easy to forget. You're going to hear things that sound nicer. I, in, in the past, I've struggled. I'm so glad I've matured past this with um, a lack of self-control when I, when, I, when I feel a little bit angry. It's all gone now, but you turn 40 and it just evaporates. Um, but nothing, there's very few things in my life that drive me more cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs than, than when it's almost as though we're presenting this idea that we need to be God's PR rep. That somehow what he has declared is like, ooh, he didn't know that 2022 was going to exist. And because, yeah, I mean, this language is far too offensive. So let me just tweak this a little bit. Um, God does not need PR reps, he needs faithful ambassadors. And, and I love it because this is what Paul's trying to cultivate here. He is working to see more and more faithful ambassadors of his gospel and doing so by reminding them of all that Jesus has done for them. So, so might we, might our gratitude for all that Jesus has done for us cause us to share with our words the good news of, the, of Jesus to anyone who will listen. Might what God has done for us cultivate in our own hearts a longing to be faithful, a longing to continue to remain steadfast. Your, your pastor's at a conference called Press On. Might, might, in light of what God has done, might the reminder of Paul to the church in Colossae remind us this morning, this is what Jesus has done for us. And then he goes on, and he goes on to this prayer in verse 9. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Now, I don't know about you, but uh, I tend to be a pretty faithful prayer when things seem to be more challenging. But when things have kind of smoothed themselves out, I take my foot off the gas a little bit. It could just be me. Uh, but what I've discovered is in those seasons where things seem to be going well and I pull back on, on my spiritual disciplines, my, my desire for prayer, my discipline to sit and to pray, uh, what, I've, what I've discovered is actually that's just exploiting my heart that says, God, you know what? I don't need you now. The truth is I've really got this sorted out. I've put a few things in place. I've got it covered. Thank you, though, for being there when it was bad. I appreciate that. Paul just does the opposite. It's, it's like he's, he's hearing these good things, and in light of the good things that he's heard, and he's also hearing and aware of, because Epaphras has come to him and said, hey, listen, there's some things that are creeping into the church. We're, 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 we're seeing it. And, and Paul's aware of that. So he's like, I'm not going to stop praying for you. I hear of all these good things, but I am going to continue to pray for you. I'm not going to cease to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I love it because he prays with purpose. The reality is, is in, our, in, in all seasons, like pray without ceasing is not a suggestion. That's a command of scripture, that we are to pray without ceasing because we are a fickle and forgetful people. 
We can lose our eyes for the unseen. We can forget the assurance of salvation. We can disregard the work that all Christ has done. We can allow the noise of this world to drown out truth in our own lives if we are not intentional to pray without ceasing. And this is not a a burdensome thing. Let's just be reminded as we just declared through song. Like we can with confidence enter into the throne room of grace. Why would we not? Why would we cease to do that? What could be so great about this life on this side of heaven that would cause us to not just be distracted from, but to deter ourselves, to remain out of the throne room of grace where we can find grace and mercy in times of need? Can allow the noise to drown out our truth. And I love it because he prays with this purpose that there's this, I pray that you would be filled. You would be filled, implying that like this isn't something that you did, but something outside of you filled you. You didn't look internally and found, oh, there it is. Oh, it was in me all along. I had it. No, you've been filled by the Spirit of God. And Paul knows that the knowledge that is being offered by philosophers and human tradition of the day, but he prays for spiritual wisdom. Spiritual, that word, would be meaning it's given by the Holy Spirit. And a fun fact, the Holy Spirit will never lead us to do something contrary to what Scripture teaches. So he is asking that the God of this universe by his Spirit would fill them with knowledge so that, what does he say in verse 10? So as to walk in a way fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. To walk would be a Jewish metaphor which essentially meant how you live or conduct yourself. I am not going to stop praying for you in light of all that he's done that you would remember that and that you would continue to be filled with his knowledge, his knowledge, not worldly knowledge, his understanding, so that, here's the reason, so that you can walk in a way, conduct yourselves that's pleasing to him. That indicates that this is a possibility, that we can do this through his help. That Paul's prayer is that the Holy Spirit would help to live in a way that is pleasing to God, that they might have this wisdom and understanding of of what that might look like, because Paul knew it wasn't going to always be easy. And friends, can I encourage you this morning, you know, God is not surprised by 2022 and the challenges that we face. God, God knew before the foundations of the world the things that we would face. And I'm going to be honest, there are a lot of days where I have students sitting in my office and they say things, I'm like, we live in a different world than when I was 14. Like, I did not have those thoughts. That was not a challenge for me. But God knew this. He knew that we would be lied to And, and he knew that he knew, he knew that our world would be in a place where, where we would so arrogantly declare to the God creator of the universe that he created us wrongly, that we then need to adjust and fix that. God knew that marriage would be under attack, that our pride would continue to grow, almost surpassing in my observation that we see at the Tower of Babel. And so Paul prays for the church. He prays for faithfulness. He prays that they would be wise, that they would rest and know that God is not a God of confusion and he is not as confused as we are. 
And it will cost us. And Paul's aware of the cost that it's going to cost the church. But as one author said, the cost is not greater than the cross. And it's bearing fruit. I'm reminded of Mark, 3, Mark 4, verses 3 to 9, and the, 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 the parable of the sower where the seeds fall on different ground. And there's lots of analogies in that text that, that help us see. I was going to read it. I think it's up on the screen, but I'm going long, so I want to keep moving. But um, what Paul is reminding the church is if we are his, if we are God's children, he is faithful to give us what we need to bear fruit, to live lives that, that are pleasing to him. And at no point do I read this and, and indicate, there's no indication here that this is going to be an easy thing, but that God is going to be a faithful God to give us all that we need to do so. Verse 11, he said, may you be, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all enduring patience, uh, all endurance and patience with joy. You know, there's this idea of, of spiritual power would have been a real culturally relevant issue in the Greco-Roman world. Uh, and there's a lot of pagan worship and a lot of people that feared these spirits. And so they were looking for protection and power in their lives. And I can't help but, but see, think, and, and reflect on the fact that nothing is really different today. You know, I, I, see, I see and hear a lot, and maybe in my own life too, looking for that power and that protection and, and that control. But he, he prays for power according to, according to God. According to God, how God defines power. And Paul would say that his power is made perfect in, in weakness. So he's praying that we would live with strength as God, you defined it, you provide it, and you approve of it. And then it says, for all endurance and patience and joy. Enduring when it's hard, you know, in, in Philippians 2, verses 4 to 18. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God, without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be poured, proud that I did not run in vain or labor, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all likewise, so you also should be glad and rejoice with me. To be patient, I'm, I'm convinced that when the Bible talks about patience, so often... Um, it's, it's when we forget who, who is God. You know, Isaiah 55, 8, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My, my ways are higher than the heavens. And sometimes I have a hard time just being patient, trusting that God in his timeline, all things are working together for the good of those who love him. But being patient and trusting God has a plan and purpose in all things. And enjoy Philippians 4, 4 to 9, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is Paul's prayer for the church. And he reminds them in verse 12, 
that although they were disqualified, it is through Christ that they've been qualified. That, that, that we might, as a church, walk with endurance, patience, and joy. This is Paul's desire for the church in Colossae. This is the desire, I do believe, from Scripture that God would have for his people. These virtues would be evident in our life. That's his prayer. And then he ends with this redemption statement. Verse 13, he has delivered us from the dominion, domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Just as God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, just as God delivered Daniel from the mouths of the lion, just, just as God delivered his people by splitting the Red Sea, just as God delivered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just as God has been faithful to deliver his people when it meets his sovereign purpose, he has delivered And what he's saying to us today and and what Paul is saying to the church is, let me remind you, you have been delivered. You have been delivered from the dominion of darkness. It's present. And concludes with, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Redemption means liberation is one definition. And oftentimes I, I find that through conversation and in my own heart. Redemption to me often gets narrowed in and stuck in circumstance. When a circumstance gets better, then I've experienced redemption, right? That marriage was in turmoil and now they're doing really well. That drunk was on a path that was gonna lead to death and now he's sober and loves Jesus. But what I see from Paul's language here is redemption that he is speaking of comes through Jesus. The redemption he's talking about is the forgiveness that we've received through the cross of Christ. The redeeming work is the rede- this redeeming work is the redeeming work that should shape all we do and who we are. And this morning, we're going to remember this redeeming work as we come to the table in just a moment here. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure about you. Um, but but I, I can quickly get distracted and forget of, about this redeeming work of Jesus. This, this forgiveness that he has given us. And even, you know, even today, I still have this temptation you know, to run and hide or to try to justify myself uh, before God. It's an exhausting treadmill of religion, but, but our redemption comes through the reality that Jesus has given us and paved a way for us to receive forgiveness. I, I don't let that sink in enough. And I know that because of how I respond to other people when they wrong me. And I know that because, because there's still days where I just live in guilt, shame, and remorse. But I want to encourage us and remind us this morning, as things, we have no idea what the future holds. We know who holds the future. I have a suspicion that things are not going to get easier would we just be reminded today through the word of God that we have faith, love, and hope because God has given them to us? Would we continue to walk in such a way that, that honors him in response to the gift of grace that he's given us in his son Jesus? Would we continue to walk in a way that is pleasing to him? And, and when we need to, would we constantly just be coming back to this redeeming work of Jesus? We have been forgiven John Calvin put it this way. 
Though the whole world should fail, though heaven itself should fall, the conscience of a pious man must not waver, because God, on whom it is founded, does nevertheless remain true. This, however, does not hinder our faith being confirmed whenever it perceives God's excellence and undoubtedly shrewds itself with more power in proportion to the numbers of persons that are gained over to Christ. Would you pray with me? God of grace, thank you for your word. Thank you that it is true. Thank you that we can trust it. Thank you that we can submit ourselves to it. Thank you that... um, Thank you, Jesus, for the redemption that we've experienced, the forgiveness of sin that you provide us through your broken body, through your shed blood. And Father, as we continue to desire to be faithful ambassadors, would you help us by constantly bringing to mind these reminders, these truths of who you are and what you've done? Would we do that for one another when when we're forgetting And would you empower us by your spirit to walk in a way that's pleasing to you because we know when we're doing that, it's it's a proper response to grace. It's a proper response to who you are and who we are. And as we come to remember, would would we worship you with our heart, mind, soul, and strength because you are worthy. We pray in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.